In today's episode, we're going to go over the four main culprits of hormonal imbalance. It's a little bit of a story time. When I started down this road of functional medicine years and years ago in practice, my mentors would teach me all the different intricacies of these metabolic pathways and also what tests we need to run. So we ran a lot of tests. And one thing I started noticing was that every single patient that came into my office that was complaining about whatever problem, their hormones were always off. You know, we looked at all the different tests. We looked at the common tests, you know, the metabolic panels. We looked at their toxins. We looked at their hormones. And their hormones were always off. So what was the natural thing? We would address the hormones. If if progesterone was off, we would adjust progesterone. If they needed more testosterone, if their cortisol was too high or too low, we'd address all those things, which would seem logical. Until I started noticing that just by addressing the hormones, we weren't really getting anywhere. So after a while, I took a couple patients and and I told them, I said, hey, guess what? Even though you're complaining that your hormones are off, and we have confirmatory evidence that your hormones are off via these tests, we're not going to start with balancing out your hormones. We're going to attack the major culprits. And over the years, I found that there were four major culprits that was affecting these hormones. And that's what I'm going to share with you guys today. So there were four of these culprits I mean, there, there, there's a bunch more, but these were the four major ones that stood out to me. And, and I want to go in depth into each of them. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a bunch of common things that we can do to address these culprits and get them out. Um, there's going to be deeper things that obviously we can do and understand that each person has an individualized biochemistry that will need to be addressed. So this is just from what I've seen over the you know few years of practice that I've been through, over the thousands of patients of what were the most common ones, okay? So the first one had to deal with the circadian rhythm. And we look at the biological clocks that run the body. And obviously we have the circadian uh, rhythm, which is yoked to the sun, 24 hours in the day. And there's also the infradian rhythm which is more than the 24 hours. So that's stuff like the menstrual cycle that has to deal with, you know, like a 28 to 30 day cycle. Now, almost all of these cycles are entrained by light. So the major light source for all of us is the sun. And that will set the pace for everything in the body. Now, what I want you guys to visualize is this hormonal orchestra this symphonic orchestra that's going on where there's one main conductor and there's a piece of music that they're playing. Now, the the reason why we want to view it like this is that the biological clocks and the hormonal symphony have to be in tune to each other. Much like if you go to an orchestra and they're playing this beautiful piece of music, but there was one section that was 
playing, they could be playing the same piece of music, but they were off, right? Say the violas were playing the right piece of music, but they were playing at the wrong time. You would notice that. You would automatically pick that out and say, holy cow, that sounds terrible. And, and we often notice that. Now, when everything's perfect and in time, then we view it as a beautiful piece of music. Same thing goes with the hormonal symphony, is that everything has its time and duration of when it's supposed to be the most active. And that's all entrained by the circadian rhythm, which is entrained by light. And any time that we have a hormonal imbalance, it's usually that the hormones are usually playing at the wrong time or at the wrong volume. So imagine you're at that symphony and now every piece of the orchestra is playing in perfect time except the cellos just start playing ridiculously loud. That's what happens in hormonal imbalances. So what we got to do is we got to get all of these things back into balance. We got to go back to the conductor. The conductor has to ch take charge in this symphony. So if we look at what's called chronobiology, and, and I interviewed Dr. Michael Bruce about chronotypes. You can go back, there's a few episodes back where we talked about each person having a specific chronotype, meaning that there's, there's subtle differences in, in people's biology according to, uh, according to their makeup, which affects what and what things are the most active at, you know, different times of the day. And there's people that, you know, we, we know this as I'm a morning person or I'm a night owl. And this all has to do with chronobiology. Now, there was a study that was released that talks about the biological clocks and the rhythm of anger and aggression. And it was really interesting to see how the different emotions are tied towards the biological clocks. Now, when we look at when we, when we talk about this biological clock and the conductor and the, the, of this hormonal symphony, we have to look at what is that, right? And there's this little piece in the brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, the SCN. This is the conductor of the entire hormonal symphony. So what happens here is that the SCN receives its information from the temperature of light that's in your current environment. And like we said before, that current environment is usually the sun. And we'll get into the other forms of light in a little bit. But the SCN will read the temperature of the light. And for those of you who are uh, listening on the podcast, you may want to jump over to my YouTube channel where you can see this diagram because I show you the different temperatures of, of the light. So according to the temperature of the light, it's on the Kelvin scale. The SCN will read that and it'll in, interpret it as, are we in the daytime or are we in nighttime? Because if we're in the daytime, then there's different hormones that are active than nighttime. So the SCN, the conductor, is reading the information, basically the, the, the sheet of music, and saying, it's daytime, it's nighttime, here's who needs to be active Here's who needs to be playing and at what volume. So if we look at the hormonal timing, we can see that 
according to what time of the day, there's different activity levels for the different hormones. So for example, in the morning time, this is when we're supposed to be getting up. Sun is rising. So does the cortisol levels, which is supposed to increase our alertness, get us up. Uh, aldosterone, testosterone is high, angiotensin. This is why if you look at uh, studies, they'll show that majority of heart attacks happen in the morning. And it's because of angiotensin, cortisol, all that's happening in the morning with that, with that spike. And, and that's, you know, we're supposed to have this natural rise to get us up, get us going. We're having a bowel movement. We have higher alertness in the morning time. And then towards the afternoon, we see more of our physical attributes becoming at its highest point. So neuromuscular coordination, our cardiovascular efficiency, um, our insulin sensitivity is higher um, towards getting towards uh, throughout the, during the daytime, our highest body temperatures towards the, towards the, the later afternoon. And then as the sun starts to set, so the color temperature changes, we start to see a release of melatonin. And then this cycle happens every single day. But if we're receiving the wrong information from our light temperatures, then the conductor will interpret that accordingly. So for example, if it's nighttime and we're receiving the color temperatures of the daytime, then the SCN will relay that information to the rest of the body and say, hey, it's daytime. It's noon, according to the color temperature. We need to have that hormonal activity that would happen in the noontime or the morning time. We need that active now, even though it's nighttime. So you can start to see how you, you, you'll get this imbalance start, that starts happening according to the circadian rhythms. Now, every single organ in the body has a circadian rhythm. Now, on the screen, I have the circadian rhythms of the thyroid. And you'll see that TSH, free T4, free T3, they'll fluctuate throughout the entire day. Now, why is this important? Well, a lot of times we may get misdiagnosed with a dysfunction in our thyroid or any type of hormone. Say you go and take a lab test and you take it at different times. Say one lab test, you took it in the morning and then you go for follow-up and it's taken in the afternoon. You'll see this fluctuation in the activities of the different hormones. And it may be interpreted as it not being in the right reference range. And it may be interpreted as being or misdiagnosed as certain or as, as a certain uh, disease process. It could also be non-diagnosed. So you could have a thyroid issue or you could have an insulin issue or you could have um, a kidney issue when and you're getting the lab test when it, it's at its lowest point or it's at its highest point. You can see how the circadian rhythm affects how we're interpreting what's going on in the body if we're looking at lab tests according to what time it's being run. So we, when we look at the circadian rhythm and how it affects hormones, we have to understand that Again, I'm going to go back to the, the orchestral um, analogy here. We have to understand that according to the different times of the day, according to the different temperature of light that we're being exposed to, that will influence 
who's active, who's the loudest, or uh, if they're playing at the right time. So how does this impact our lives? Well, one, artificial light at night is affecting every single person, myself included, right? We, when we live in this modern world, we use light bulbs, we use gadgets, we watch television, okay? This is affecting our circadian biology. Now, if we fly across the country, across the world, we're gonna experience different time zones. We're gonna get jet lag. That's gonna throw off our circadian rhythms. And then a big one, and I get, I get asked this question a lot. How do we balance our hormones? How do we help our health if we're a shift worker? Now, our bodies can handle these, these subtle changes for a short period of time. But if it's for a long period of time, we cannot break the laws of nature for too long without paying the consequences. Right? And, and you look at the disruptions of circadian rhythm, and it leads towards all kinds of health issues like obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, hormonal imbalances, just to name a few. So we see how this is one of the major, major uh, things that we got to address. And it was only until I started to really understand the effect of circadian rhythms and 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 how to use this as a tool for our patients, that's when we started to get the major results. So I had this one patient come in and he was dealing with a very, very serious health issue. And he was trying everything. He, he wasn't given uh, much, much more time left. And, and one of the major things that we did was we stripped everything away and went back down to the basics and we said, you need to obey the laws of daylight. So he was really strict. He got up with the sun and went down with the sun and, and, and just really stuck to all the stuff that I'm going to teach you guys at, at the end of this. He stuck to all of that. And lo and behold, his health just started to turn around big time. And I was amazed by that because we didn't use any of these fancy things that you guys see, you know, like on TikTok and on Instagram and whatever, you know, we're seeing online, whatever's the most, you know, fashionable thing that's going on. We just stuck to the basics of natural, ancient wisdom. And we got his circadian rhythms back into balance and everything else that we started to do started to fall into place. So that, that was one of the biggest eye-openers for me is when, when I started to uh, utilize that with, with patients. So I, I've included some studies of you know, the impact of sleep and the circadian disturbances and its effect on hormones and metabolism and uh, growth and all of that stuff here. Um, and and what, what we can do to help rebalance that back, back to where it needs to be and utilizing, here's, here's a funny study, um, the health implications of disrupted circadian rhythms and the potential for daylight, ther- daylight as therapy. Imagine that, right? Using the sun as a therapy to get your health back. And, you know, a lot of people, they, they laugh at me whenever I say, well, you know, you just go out in the sun. They laugh at me because it seems so simple. 
but it, it it's very profound. If if you start to understand where uh, like the SCN and, and light temperatures and how that all comes into play. But as we move along, you're going to start to see how all of these tie in together as, as, a, as a net. So the next one has to do with stress. And I talk about this a lot, right? And we, we look at stress and we talk about this, um, that how much of an implication it has on your health. But the one thing that I don't think I make clear enough is like when I, whenever I say it's stress induced, and you hear that a lot from other practitioners, most people interpret that as I need to de-stress or I need to be stress-free. And that's not necessarily the case because we need to understand uh, that there's two types of stress. And my mentors taught me this, that there's what's called eustress, the stress that we need that actually will push us, that will basically make us have vigor in our body. And then there's distress. This is the point where the stressors that are eustress, the, the, the good stress, when it goes over this tipping point, that it becomes more detrimental to your body. And the, the thing about the body is that we need stress, right? If you don't have stress, then you don't grow and you, you lose certain capabilities in your body. Now, the thing with stress is how well do you adapt to it, right? The, so the, the way that it's supposed to happen, if you look at it in nature, is we get attack, we're under attack, we run away, we fight, or we run away from something. We, and there's two outcomes. We either get away or we don't. We either live or die. That was one of the, you know, that, that's the, the one major outcome. You either live or you die. And that's only supposed to last for a short period of time. It's not supposed to last for days upon days, right? You, you don't see um, a giraffe running away from a lion for three months to a year, right? It's either the, the lion gives up because the lion gets tired or the lion catches the giraffe, eats the giraffe, and then that's the end of it. That's, that's basically what happens in, in a stress response. And then your body is supposed to adapt to it and then get back to normal. Now, you, you can read the work of Hans Selye where he looked at how, how these rats were responding to stress and he looked at their adrenal glands. And you know, if, if you're adept to all of that research, you'll find that you know, when, he, when he dissected the rats after exposing them to stress, he found that they had an increase in size of their adrenal glands. And over time, when they moved into distress, then the adrenal glands started to shrink in size and decrease in function. So we see that as the adaptability. When the short-term stress happened, then the adrenals responded. And then when it was subjected to longer stress, then you went into dysfunction. Now, the thing about stress is we have to look at what are the main sources that it's coming from, right? And that's what we're going to go over at the, at the end of the video is what are the main sources of stress? We got to identify those things. And then we have to look at it from a standpoint of, is it considered eustress or is it considered distress? And if it is, if it's typically a eustress, the good stress, but it's causing distress in your body, how do we get it back? What are the you know, the practices 
to get it back into a place where we're highly adaptable to the stress. So if we look at the cascade of hormones and we see the effect on, of stress on these hormones, we then start to realize why our hormones go imbalanced. Right? When we're in a state of fight or flight, your body does not care about thriving. It cares about surviving. So if we are constantly under this barrage of stress and, mind you, the first one I talked about, circadian imbalance, is a stress on the body. So if when they're in this constant state of stress, we start to see this adaptation because the body's adapting. So the adaptation is that the body needs to survive, not thrive. So what are the thriving things? Well, digestion, um, reproducing, um, what, fighting off a cold? Those are thriving things because in the next five to 10 minutes, who cares if you're going to fight off a cold, if you're going to digest an, an apple, or if you're going to go make a baby. No, your body doesn't care about that. Your body only cares about running away from the, the lion that's chasing you or the tiger that's ch chasing you. So it reallocates its, its resources and it takes the, the hormones that was supposed to be for thriving and shunts everything towards surviving. That's why you see a huge spike in cortisol. And then over time, if you leave it too long into a state of distress, then we start to see a decrease in cortisol overall. Right? So you start to see this, this change, damage to you know, stuff like the leptin receptors in the hypothalamus. We start to see insulin resistance. We start to see the blocking of thyroid hormone production. We start to see an increase in inflammation. Right? All of this because of a, a stress on the body. So we start to see this effects of chronic stress where an increase in cortisol happens and we start to throw off the, the cortisol DHEA ratio. We start to see the decrease in DHEA overall. The gut mucosa starts to uh, change its function and ultimately decrease, which leads towards stuff like leaky gut dysbiosis, which is an imbalance in the gut microbiome. Then that leads towards the liver's ability to detoxify. It decreases that. And then ultimately a decrease in steroid hormonal breakdown because that's the liver's main job. And I'll get to that in, in the next one. Um, and then if you don't break down hormones and that further throws off this cycle because hormones are supposed to break down. And if you have too many of them sticking around longer than they should, then they, then they start to create other effects, right? If we, if we take a step back and we ask, well, what are hormones? Hormones are basically chemical messengers. They send the message. So if the message doesn't break down, you can imagine that there's like all these messengers running around the street. And if you have like 4,000 of these messengers shouting the same message, it gets crazy. And that's what happens underneath a state of chronic stress. Now, for me, I look at chronic stress as being something like longer than a month, maybe two months. Three months, definitely you're in a state of chronic stress. And you start to see just your body breaking down. And every single patient that I've seen over the last 20-something years, this is what's happening to their body. And they've been to other practitioners. Usually when, whenever patients come to see me, they've been to everybody. 
and and they're they're given you know or they're given to me as the the state of you know last hope and we go back and we we look at all these things that's that that has been done and the, and the major thing that has always come back to me or what they say that they've been through was my doc just told me to stop stressing out and then to take to take these pills so that I could stop stressing out but we never really address the underlying causes and one of the major underlying causes was that their circadian rhythm was imbalanced and that there's an, another one the other two that I'm going to talk about here were never addressed properly, which is toxic overburden. Now, whenever I talk about this, and I and I and I'm talking to a patient, they'll always tell me, well, "But I but I've been through a detox program. I've done tons of detoxes. Awesome." But if you never address the other issues, if you never really looked at this from a you know bird's eye view then your detox was useless and also i hate to say this but a lot of the detoxes that you see on the on on the interwebs are useless anyway because they're not really addressing real toxicity and they're not addressing it from a cellular level with that said what are toxins well the ones that I'm talking about come from both external and internal. The one that we think about the most are the external toxins, right? That's it's the ones that we always, you know, think about and we're trying to decrease our exposure to. Now we got to ask ourselves, well, why does this occur? Obviously, we, we we live in a toxic world, but when we go back to stress, when stress increases, so does cortisol. And what happens when cortisol increases? Well, that then makes your liver become sluggish. The entire bile tree starts to slow down and the bile becomes more sludgy, more thick. So it just can't move the toxins out as fast as possible. So we see how stress is tied in. We also see that if there's a disruption in the circadian rhythm, then, uh, and if you're not getting sleep, then your detoxification system doesn't do its job. Because when does that happen? Well, when you're sleeping. So if you're not sleeping or you're not getting deep enough sleep, then you're not detoxifying. You're not taking out the trash. And over time, that just kind of builds up, builds up, and you start backing up into metabolic dysfunction. Now, some toxins can mimic the effects of hormones. Now, this is another reason why I rarely will run traditional hormonal panels right off the bat. Because sometimes these, these toxins can mimic and, as, as these hormones and throw that off. So from a, from a clinical symptomatic picture, a lot of these patients are just feeling terrible, but their labs look normal. And, and a lot of times this happens because these toxins are actually taking place of that. Um, toxins will also increase the oxidative stress load in the body. So getting back to the hormonal symphony, these toxins, they, they act like they're part of the symphony, but they're either distracting the other players, all right? They're just, they're, they get in front of the, 
the cellists and they cover their sheet music so the cellist doesn't know when to play their their part or they 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 whisper into their ear and they 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 get distracted or they start playing their own song so imagine you go into an to an orchestra and then there's a, a a metal guitarist that in the middle of a concerto starts playing just this massive riff on his guitar that would throw everything off. That's kind of like what toxins are, are doing. So, I mean, when we look at a toxin, the, the word in and of itself is very interesting, right? It comes from, it starts from the ancient Greek pertaining to a bow, like a bow and arrow. And the, it comes from the, the Latin word toxicum, which is the poison on the arrows. And these toxins are almost always proteins that it slows down metabolism. In. And I put a link where you guys can go and read more into this. But isn't that interesting, right? It, it pertains to a bow and arrow and, and this poison that injects into, into the, the system. Um, it, it's really interesting that when you look at it from a molecular perspective and, and, the, and what it does is it's basically you know, when we get down to it, it's basically stripping electrons away from, from these molecules. And it's, it's disrupting how electrons are moving. That's basically what a toxin is. So it's like, you know, you, I, I always envision Hawkeye, for those of you who are Avengers fans, I envision Hawkeye just putting an arrow in the middle of, of, of the opponent and, and it's just dismantling the opponent. And that's what these toxins are doing. It's like shooting an arrow into your into into a, a friend and now can't function anymore. So when we look at toxins, right? I, I talked about there are external and internal toxins. We're familiar with these external toxins, like the environmental toxins. You know, you have the the chemical plants and the nuclear waste and all that kind of stuff. And it's very true. You know, we live in this toxic world, but it's not like what we see right on, on these visuals of the, the toxic sludge and all this kind of stuff. It's happening in, in our everyday life. We're being exposed to thousands and thousands of chemicals that our bodies have not been used to, to detoxify. Um, there's, there's a website, the EWG website, that they highlight uh, all these environmental toxins and its effect on our body. And they even made this video called The 10 Americans. And if uh, I put a link to the video, you guys can go check it out. Uh, it's very impactful. Uh, it shows you like all the different chemicals that we're being exposed to and its effect upon us and, and, and developing babies and all this kind of stuff. Don't let it scare you, but let it inform you. And if, if we look at just our everyday life. We're being exposed to this from the toothpaste that we use, from the toothbrush that we use, the, the, the water that we're you know, bathing in, taking a shower in, the what chemical fire retardants on our, on our beds, the paint on our walls. I mean, I'm just talking in our home. You know, the, the VOCs in the carpets, in the... Uh, the foods that we're eating, just the internal air of our home, 
uh, you know, depending upon where you live, there may be chemicals in the water, water table. I know there was a big issue in Hawaii here where there was jet fuel leaking into the water table and that was affecting thousands and thousands of people. There was a chemical spill that happened um, in, in the Midwest. There are, or I should say there are a bunch of chemical spills that are happening, but th this has been happening for a long time. And ever since, I think it was World War II, where we saw this massive increase in the amount of environmental chemicals that we were being exposed to and the effects that was having on our body. And one of the first podcasts that I ever did talked about all of these chemicals that has an effect upon our body. Now, these are some of the major hormone-disrupting chemicals. BPAs, which are found in plastics, dioxins, which is an herbicide and also used in paper bleaching, parabens, which is ubiquitous in, in our personal care products, cosmetics, the phthalates, which are found in plastics. This is what makes plastics malleable. Glyphosate, which is almost on everything, even on organic products, by the way, because there's overspray. Uh, birth control, which is found in our drinking water. Crazy, right? Perfluorinated chemicals and non-stick non cookware, the fire retardants, phytoestrogens from soy products, and triclosan and antimicrobial soaps. It, it's everywhere, guys. We're being exposed to this every single day. Now, I don't want this to be a downer, but I want you to understand that we're being exposed to this every single day and it's affecting our hormones. So there's a need to do something about it. And I'll get to that at the end of the video. Now, I ran across this one guy's website where he looked at the EWG and he was like, okay, well, you, you know, they're not real scientists and all that kind of stuff. And, and he, makes, he makes a point though, because whenever we start talking about toxins, this is like a sensitive subject where people are like, well, you know, you're a freaking tinfoil hat. And, uh, you know, there's no such thing as a, a detox program. And I, and I understand where they're coming from. They're, they're talking about, you know, frank toxicity where there's some type of lethal dose towards a toxin. What we're talking about here is bioaccumulation where it's small amounts of these toxins that just accumulate over time. And it's not necessarily a visual of this like toxic sludge that's being built up in your body. It's, it's not really that. It's more so what I talked about earlier of how these toxins are affecting electron flow. Now, the other toxins that we alluded to were the internal toxins. These are the metabolic waste products just from natural, the natural cellular process, just metabolism. It's like running a car and the car having exhaust. And then there's metabolic waste products from the microbes that live within the body. And if you have more of these microbes that you know, that are not supposed to be there or not supposed to be in abundance, then you increase that metabolic waste from all of those microbes. And also hormones that aren't being metabolized properly due to the gut being off, these also act, act as toxins. Now, there are two other toxins that we don't necessarily think about as toxins, and these are emotional toxins and spiritual toxins. And these two, in my opinion, are some of the most important ones that have a profound effect on a patient's health. And when, when we dive into these and we start clearing out these emotional and spiritual toxins, 
you start making drastic changes in, in the right direction. Now, we talked about the gut. And this, if you know me by now, I'm a big proponent for establishing and reestablishing gut health because that's where everything lies. You know, the, the immune system, your lymphatics, this is our interface between the external environment and, and the internal environment. This is the gatekeeper. And whenever we do not get the gut back into balance, it's very difficult to get the rest of the body back into balance. Now, it's all about getting the right things right in the right order, right? Say that 10 times fast. And the key is to balance out the inflammation at the gut level. And the easiest thing is to just remove the the foods that are offenders. And at, at the end of this video, I'll tell you guys how to do all that kind of stuff. Now, what I wanted to talk about within the gut was that there's a crosstalk between the microbes of the gut and their hormones, meaning that the more we see a diversity in the microbiome, the better balance the sex hormones are, and vice versa. The less diversity, the more imbalance. And you can go to this, this study that I link here at Frontiers, um, and, and they show you the, the link between these two. And what I alluded to earlier about the toxicity and hormonal imbalance was due to the fact that the, the liver's main job is to detoxify the colon. And if, if there's something going on, an overburden of yeast or mycotoxins within the colon, and that puts an extra burden on the liver, then the liver has a very difficult time doing its job, or jobs, I should say, plural, because it's only focused on one thing, which is detoxifying the colon. So if st stuff like Estrogen. If estrogen has to be detoxified by the liver, but it's overburdened because of overgrowth in the in the colon, then it just doesn't get to that. And excess hormones start sticking around longer than it should, and yada, yada, yada. So you kind of see the interplay between having a balanced gut microbiome and hormonal balance. Now, there's also an interesting correlation of vitamin D and the microbiome. And what we started to see, and, and this is what I would, would see with patients, is that we would run tests on their vitamin D levels because vitamin D plays an intricate role in hormonal balance and immune function. And we would see normal levels of vitamin D, yet these patients were still complaining of feeling ill. So we'd run these vitamin D tests and they would come back normal, yet we when when we start to look at the other tests that we would run, we would see that their their gut microbiome was significantly imbalanced. And when we started to balance out the microbiome, then we started to see an increase in all the things that were tied to vitamin D. Now I started to think about this, and and you know when we look at there's there's huge interplays between all of these things. So the sun shines on the skin, and the UVB rays interact with cholesterol and that forms the, the precursor to vitamin D. And then vitamin D goes to the liver and the kidneys to become activated. But if the colon is overburdened and it's overburdening the liver, then again, the liver does not get to the job of activating vitamin D. So we then see how a diverse microbiome interplays into vitamin D. Right, so if, if if the if the liver is being overburdened, it can't it can't activate vitamin D. Now, when we see the microbiome 
having a vast diversity, that also means that it's outcompeting the opportunistic microorganisms. And those microorganisms then do not produce those internal toxins, those metabolic waste products. So the liver's free to do what it needs to do, like metabolizing hormones and making vitamin D and detoxifying the body as a whole. So we start to see this interplay between all of the, the different systems of the body. Now, what happens if we do not address these four culprits? Well, you'll start to get your, trying to get your health back. And it's like you're just chasing your tail around. And you're not getting the results that you desire. And you just keep feeling terrible. And then ultimately, you go from doctor to doctor, program to program. And you just keep saying, nothing works for me. So that's what happens when you fail to address these things. And that's what I did for a, a long time with patients when we would look at it from a functional medicine perspective and we would see what was imbalanced and we'd try to address those imbalances, but we didn't address these four culprits. So we got to take action on these things. So here's what you guys have been waiting for. Thank you for sticking around this long. Uh, Let's take action. We got to do we got to do these four things to address the four culprits. We got to sync your circadian rhythms, we got to adapt your body to stress, decrease your toxic burdens and then heal the gut. So syncing your lifestyle to the circadian rhythm. Again, if you go back to the slide where I brought up the different organs and hormones and their active time during the day, you'll start to see what you should be doing during the day. Easy to remember. When the sun's up, you get up. Okay, get outside, face the sun, because that starts to reset your circadian rhythm. That tells the conductor, the SCN, what time it is. Okay, it, the, the, your eyes sense the temperature of the light. And it says, oh, it's morning time. It, uh, it senses the temperature. And then also, when you start to do the certain things that entrain the rhythm even further, breathing, meditation, having a bowel movement, Okay? And then going for a brisk walk because this is the time where you, you, your, your body is at its highest level of cortisol. You don't want to be doing some high-intensity training during that time. Now, I know a, a lot of patients, they, they would partake in high-intensity exercise right in the morning, you know, jumping on their bike, and they're going, they're going for it, tour de France style. And we started to measure their cortisol profiles. And we started to see that as they got older, their profiles started to reverse because they were doing the wrong things at the wrong time. Okay. And then after that, cold exposure in the morning. And this is during the morning or just daylight in general. This is when you are the most insulin sensitive. Uh, a lot of studies show that you are more sensitive in the morning, um, but overall during the daytime is when the sun is shining. And, and uh, I'll get into another podcast episode about, about why that is the case. Then afternoon, uh, we, we're going to get more sun exposure. This is when our digestion is, is at its highest efficiency. So what does that mean? Noontime is when we should be having our largest meal of the day. Okay. Uh, a lot of times what we do is we, we stave off our largest meal towards the end of the day at dinner time, And that that then puts a increased burden on our digestive system when that's not what it's entrained to do. Afternoon time is when our body is more 
neurologically attuned from a, a neuromuscular area, meaning that you should be doing more of your higher intensity um, physical activities in the afternoon. So strength training, afternoon time. Okay. And, this, and your body temperature is, is highest in the afternoon times as well, more towards the evening. So this is when you, you do your sauna work. And then as the sun goes down, that's the that's a beginning of a song, right? When the sun goes down, you go down as well, meaning that you start turning down the lights, start getting ready to go to sleep. Now, what happens here, if you look at this chart, is that if we, as the sun goes down, if we start turning on modern household lights, we start to tell the body that it is back in noontime. So the circadian rhythm starts to shift and we start to either delay or speed up our, our, our biological processes. This starts to throw everything off because your body doesn't know what time of the day it is. So the sun goes down, we start turning off the lights. In a, in a previous episode, I talked about if you do need to use lights, then, I mean, if you need to use, you know, like gadgets and all that kind of stuff, blue blockers is, is a good, uh, you know, technique. And also uh, cozy, red, cozy red lights, cozy health red lights uh, is, is a good uh, alternative to have in your home instead of the regular light bulbs that are shining at five, 6,000 Kelvin, which is telling your body that it's noontime, okay? And then get to sleep. Cool, dark room, right? This is how we start to sync our lifestyle to our circadian rhythm. Now we need to also make our bodies adaptable to stress. I always like to use HRV, heart rate variability is an important metric to measure and give us an insight onto where our stress system is at. Lower HRVs typically mean that you're more stressed out. Higher HRVs meaning that you're less stressed. Now, what do you do? You take your measurement, right? What do you do about that? If it's low, you got to start conditioning your body to handle these stressors. Stuff like cardiovascular training. You got to train your body to handle stressors. And, and this is one of the reasons why we start seeing people not being adaptable to stress. Right? We got to make things or we got to tell the body to be able to handle these stress and, and being able to adapt. Just like if you, if you see any like Olympic athlete, they train really hard in order to withstand the, the stressors and the rigors of competition. And, and, and this is the whole, the whole premise behind, you know, my company, a, a triple play performance is that I truly believe that everyone is an athlete. We play the game of life. But a lot of, the, a lot of times we forget that. And we do not look at the rest of our game as an, as an athletic competition. So we become less adaptable to the stressors and rigors of life. And this starts to take a toll on us. So stuff like cardiovascular training, strength training, thermal regulation, whether it's cold thermogenesis, sauna, and then breathing is a very important one for stress adaptation. Now, there's a specific way that I, that I tell patients how to do their breathing. So what you would do is you would breathe, one, nasally, and two, you would do what's called an ionized nasal breathing. Um, for stress reduction, I like to close off the right nostril and then take a breath in through the left nostril and then exhale. 
breath in through the left nostril and exhale. Sometimes you can do like a double inhale through your nose and then exhale, double inhale and then exhale. Um, but the left side will, will start to calm down your nervous system. You can add other things like rosemary, lavender, um, lemon oil, and, and diffuse these as, you know, as you're, you're doing your breathing. Um, also, as you take a breath in, your abdomen should go outward. Your shoulders should not go up. We want to train our body to, to breathe properly so that we can affect our stress response system. When we are having our abdomen go in when we take a deep breath and our shoulders go up, that's a stress posture, stress response. Okay? Um, there's another thing. I didn't list this on the slide, but uh, one thing I always do with patients is we do a postural correction. And th this is just something as simple as standing up straight. Okay? When we are in a stressful state, we slouch, we cover our, we, it, instinctively, we cover our vital organs. So we have this rounded shoulder posture hunched over because it's an adaptation to protect our vital organs against attack, right? We go into that fetal posture. So once we start recorrecting our posture, shoulders back, head back, looking straight, you know, back straight, everything straight. We posturally tell our bodies that it's not in a, a fight or flight situation. So that's another way to become stress adaptable. Meditation. I have an audio called the body scan that we use with all patients that helps you to go from head to toe to, you know, de-stress the body. And then heart focused breathing. So it's basically visualizing your breath around your, your heart and really just focusing and visualizing your breath going in and out of your heart. We can get more into that. And this is one of the things that I do with patients, you know, whenever I work with them is heart-focused breathing. And then we want to tie all of these things into our circadian rhythms. Next one is decreasing our toxic burden. First thing you got to do is you got to audit your environment. You got to go through your entire home. And within my courses, I, I have every single person go through their home. And there's a checklist on what to look for, and what to get rid of, and what to keep. So you want to look for the most common endocrine disruptors within your home. And I talked about this and it was in, in, in a couple slides earlier of what are the most common endocrine disruptors. You want to get rid of those or decrease your exposure. Right? Either get rid of them or decrease your exposure. And then we want to look at the ABCDEs. The ABCDEs. Okay? What did you, something that you ate, breathed, contacted, drank, EMFs, and social. So these are the major sources or routes that toxins get into you. The food that you're eating, air that you're breathing, whatever's coming into contact with your skin, whatever you're drinking, EMFs, and also social toxins, right? People can be a source of toxins. So you gotta limit or get rid of these exposures. So this is what I talk about, auditing your environment, going through and looking at all the different sources that you're being exposed to every single day, and then cleaning that out. And then the last one is healing the gut. We always start with removing all the offending foods, basically sticking to a whole food, locally grown, in-season diet. Right? If you were living 500 years ago, you wouldn't be able to grab a, a banana that was grown in Mexico in, in the middle of winter if you live in Canada, right? You just wouldn't. You were relinquished to what was being 
available in your local environment. Then you want to make sure that we attack all the other three culprits, the circadian balance, stress imbalances, and, and, and toxins. And if you need more of an in-depth tutorial walkthrough protocol for the gut, I have a course called the Total Gut Restore Course. And this walks you through my five-step protocol that I use with every single patient, myself included. And that's how I actually did the, you know, got all the information for the course was I went through my own issue with gut stuff and I had to figure out what worked. So, I mean, I already knew a lot of the stuff for the gut because I was doing that with patients, but there were a lot of missing pieces to that. And it was through my recovery of getting my gut back into balance is what I put into the Total Gut Restore course. And, and um, that is something that has helped thousands and thousands of people um, over these last last you know decade or so. Um, so if you need more information, I'll link all the stuff in the show notes, in the description below. And what I want you guys to do is I want you guys to go to the, the links that we provide because I'm giving you a special discount on our gut and hormone course. Yes, I have a hormone course called the Total Hormonal Harmony. So the gut course takes care of the gut part. Now, the Total Hormonal Harmony addresses these four culprits way, way deeper than what we just went over here. And there's, uh, you know, we, we always start with the gut course. We got to get that going because you need, we we open the channels of detoxification before we detoxify. And that's the, typically the order of things. Now, the hormonal harmony course in and of itself isn't just about balancing out your hormones. Obviously, we get into that, but we go through the detoxification, really in-depth de- detoxification. And then I give you the, the educational tools and then the how-tos of what do we got to look for within hormonal balance for both men and women. Um Men, yes, you do have hormonal imbalances. Um, I talked about this earlier in this podcast that you gotta you gotta get that back into balance as well. So I want you to go to to the link that we provide within the description and in the show notes, and then it'll have a special discount for you guys. Okay, it'll have a special discount. Typically, both of these courses combined, if you were to if you were to just buy the at, at my retail cost, would be over seven hundred dollars. If you were to see me in person and getting treated over the course, to, you know, to to help this out, it would be way way more than that. But I'm giving you at a really fraction of the cost, and it's going to save you a lot of time and energy of trying to chase your tail around and not getting the results that you want. So go and hit that link in the description. And I thank you for listening and watching. Hit that like, subscribe button. If you're not following the my channel, hit that follow button. Um, if you're not subscribed to the podcast on whatever podcast platform, make sure you subscribe in there. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a five-star review. Connect with me on Instagram at TriplePlayDoc. Stay tuned for more episodes. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell the entire world. Till the next episode, be well and aloha.